You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Lord, we ask that as we spend a few moments looking at your word, that you would speak to our hearts in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. I'm on perilous ground because I'm going to begin with a joke. It's a New Year's resolution. Um, a woman went, an older woman, was in, in Tyler, Texas. And not that there are a few women and old women in Tyler, Texas, but that's where she was. And she was at a fast food place and paid for her order and was about to pay for her order. And the cash attendant said, uh, that'll come to $6.66. And the woman said, absolutely not. Uh, add a corny dog to my order. I said, okay, $9.84, paid and left. And the attendant turned to the person next to her and said, bless that woman. She is taking on the prince of darkness and her chosen weapon of faith is a corny dog. <laughs> Until I'd come to Texas, I had no idea what a corny dog is. You know, I'm sure if Paul the Apostle had had one to be there in Ephesians 6. So that overway, you know, it was, I know, slightly underwhelming. But the good news is it can only go up from here. Um, we're in the season of Epiphany, which is, um, um, you know, it's difficult to talk about seasons in Texas because the weather changes so dramatically so quickly. But in the church, it's really a season where you could tell from the prayer, we, the collect we had prayed. It's about this idea of taking the glory of God to the nations. And uh, what is it, what is, glory is a funny word, isn't it? People say it all the time, but do we really know what it means? And, um, you know, uh, and, and what is this glory that we have to share? That's essentially the good news that God has not waited for us to reach him as if that was possible but he has come to us. Not only has he come to us, but he has come to us in a way so that we can be reconciled with him. At St. Bart's, if you are visiting and welcome, it's great to have you. Um, you'll see that in the back of our bulletin we have um, our vision of values and how we say that the Lord is calling us to take his glory to the nations is, is like this, to connect the people of East, of East Dallas with God and his people so that we might behold God and become more like him. Behold and become. What we behold shapes us. I had a um, couple weeks ago, um, came down to the kitchen and there was a puddle under the sink. So I did what any reasonable man would do. I called Andy and said, Andy, I need your help to come fix the pipes. He says, I'm hanging a door, you're on your own. He didn't say it like that, it was much more loving, but for the sake of time. Um, and so I began to YouTube everything about kitchen plumbing. And after three hours, 
a break for lunch and more coffee and another hour of YouTube plumbing, I was a plumber. <laughs> another friend had come by and told me to take photos of what you take apart so you might be able to put it back together again, uh, which I did. And uh, I went to Home Depot with all these pieces and I said, help. And the, the old guy just kind of shook his head and said, you're going to need more than help. But this is, here are the pieces. And I went back and I put it together and it didn't work. Um, I missed something, obviously, because I, I was not a plumber. Um, but I thought I'd become one because I'd beheld so much on YouTube about kitchen plumbing. Um, I called another friend and they didn't pick up. And I called another friend and they didn't answer. And so I watched another YouTube video and I realized I missed something. So I went and I got this thing, I put it around the tube, put it in, no leaks, and I wait in eager anticipation of it all to fall apart. Because I know I'm not a plumber or a handyman. What we become, what we behold, what we become. And so what, that's such a striking thing then to have our psalm, and this is what I want to spend just a bit of time looking at. If you have your bulletin, um, you'll, you'll I was going to ask for forgiveness, but I won't. I prefer the NIV because the NIV was really the, the nearly infallible version is the version that I first began to read devotionally, and I kind of stick to it. Um, so we, this, that's kind of what I, what I work from. But here we have in Psalm 139, verse 1, this incredible, this incredible statement. It begins, Lord. It begins with this recognition that the writer, this individual who's written this psalm, which became a song, that there's a higher authority. And what do we hear about the high authority? That he ha you have searched me and known me. Now the verb to search really refers, no surprise, to searching, but searching a specific way, to searching out land or exploring a city. It's like taking a walking tour of an area, to not just see the, the common things, but actually to go off the beaten path and discover the hidden gems that the locals hope tourists never discover. That's what it means to search. And then we move on from, oh Lord, you've searched me out and known me. And this is where it gets really interesting. I think we can all identify with searching something and discovering a place, but to know here is, is, is very different. Um, it comes from, it actually appears seven times in this psalm, and four of them in, this, uh, in these five verses. And it's this idea that the Lord has not only examined the psalmist, but knows him fully. Now, if you're like me and you're an achiever, you'd be forgiven for thinking that this is a pass-fail moment. And all I can say is you just have to put that aside because this isn't really a pass-fail test. The word to know is something much more meaningful. The Hebrew word, the translation is yada, which is to know by experience. So Lord, you've searched me and you've known me. We see here that the person writing the psalm has a history with God where they, God's got all the information. There are no data points left for God to, uh, to assemble. It's not really talking about the data, this is talking about the experience in the person's heart. 
They've experienced his faithfulness, his love, his mercy, his goodness. And so yada is about getting the world out of our heart. And it really first appears in the Exodus when Moses is leading the people out of Egypt into the wilderness so that God can test them. But that word test is to yada because it's one thing to leave a place. It's another thing to get the place out of the person's heart. So whenever I'm with another Canadian, my pronunciation goes north. All of a sudden I'm talking about boots and I'm talking outs around it. And, you know, I think of of things that aren't typical because there's a part of where I grew up that is still within me. And it's true of all of us. And so the Lord leads the people of Israel into the wilderness so they can know him, they can experience the reality of who he is in their hearts, and they can be shaped by him. They can discover they're no longer slaves whose identity is predicated on their ability to produce. But in the place of worship, they discover that God is calling them into a relationship where they are his children. And children, the idea and the identity of a child isn't predicated on how useful they are. And so here we have, oh Lord, you've searched me and you know me. Our culture views identity in a number of ways. I'm not even gonna try to parse those ways for you. But here we have running counter to all of that is a God who invites us into worship to behold him so that, we begin, so that we can become like him and we can discover who we are and whose we are. And in that very act, we would no longer be defined by our experience or our performance, but we'd be defined by the one who says we are loved from the very beginning. So it's an incredible invitation. And if you look down with me, just jot your eyes down to verses two and three, you'll see that there are all these verbs in there that are counterpoint to each other. So you know my journeys and my resting places, or another translation says, you know when I sit and when I rise. You're acquainted with all my ways. You know my going out and my lying down, my sitting down and my rising up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Think about this with me. To know, to perceive, to discern, and to be familiar with. None of these terms imply a critical or hostile or even scrutinizing attitude towards the individual. It's quite the opposite. They reveal the depth of attention that the Lord has given, that the interest and the care that he has for the individual. The depth of knowledge here is held in tension with the claim that Yahweh, that the Lord knows them, knows these things even from afar. So think about this with me. It's easy to pay attention when things are exciting and spectacular. The picture we have is that God's complete attention is on us when things are exciting and not exciting. You see me when I sit and when I rise. 
when I'm going out, when I lie down. It's incredibly dull to watch someone sleep. Well, it is for me. I mean, well, what's the point? And they're just going to sleep, and, you know, there's nothing going on. But here we see that there, that, that mentality isn't there at all. He's just present because he has deployed all of his care and his attention. All of his affection has been brought to bear on this person. The Lord is depicted as the God of the heavens with the statement you see from afar. It is a claim that reinforces that the Lord, Lord Jesus, is not just the king of Israel, but he's the cosmic king. Yet his position in the heavens is no way cancels out his capacity to be fully observant to his people and attentive to their lives. It's an incredible tension. I don't know how he does it. But he is at the same time the cosmic king and attentive to everything going on in our lives. Verses 2 and 3 suggest that the Lord is fully aware of all of our actions. And he even knows our thoughts. It's quite something, isn't it? And he's loving. And he's loving. And not only is he loving, but the next verse tells us something even more, well, makes it, makes it even, what's the term? More better, as I've learned. That's a great term I've learned since moving to, the, to Texas from our friends from Louisiana. Because um, if you knew all my thoughts, and you knew all my ways, I'm not sure you would bring me closer. In fact, I think you'd probably want to keep a critical distance. What about you? But we're not talking about me. We're talking about Jesus. As we've been singing Jesus being Lord, we've seen God made flesh. We've seen him. We've seen the glory of him. And you could describe him in so many ways. And yet his kindness, his kindness is what we're so drawn to. And so he sees, he knows our ways, he's attentive to all our ways. He knows our thoughts from afar. And what does he do next? You press upon me behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Another version says, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. To hem, this isn't the sewing term. I thought it might be, and I was wrong. It's more this idea to press in is this idea of binding two things together so that they are together at all times, so they become inseparable. Um, And so the picture we have here is one where the posture of Jesus is seeking to make this person secure. Secure because of the love and the desire to always be bound to them. It's meant to be a comforting thought because the idea is that we would be forever enfolded in God's presence. 
And then we have this moment, this other moment that could be, you know, uh, misinterpreted that the Lord put his hand upon us. Again, this is a reassuring gesture. This is not a disciplinary action, but this is meant to uh, convey that the Lord is seeking to put the fullness of his presence on the individual. I was uh, invited yesterday to meet um, with a number of Roman Catholic leaders from uh, across the country who are uh, looking to to, uh, set up a renewal movement uh, here in Dallas, and they invited me. And, um, you know, I I went because a friend conveyed the invitation, and I showed up, and it was unlike anything I'd ever experienced. And I had this moment where I was with the, uh, the host and uh, who was, you know, this incredible man. And um, at the end, I said, you know, you've done all this. Can, can we pray for you? He says, yeah, yeah. And he told me a bit about his life. And I said, okay, great. And uh, I honestly had no idea how to pray, you know, because I'm, you know, it's, um, I don't think I could recite a Hail Mary if I tried. I, I've said it before, but, you know, and I didn't want to offend, and I was trying to be precise in my language, so all I prayed was, Lord, would you bless this man? Would you, because I was preparing for this, would you hem him in behind and before, and would you lay your hand upon him? And, you know, my experience with hardened Texans is they carry a knife, probably a gun, wear boots, and they, they look amazing. And that's what this guy was. And I did not expect what happened next. He began to absolutely sob and was undone. Not by any clever word I'd said. I think my presence there was just, you know, adjacent to what God was looking to do. But he said afterwards, for the first time, having had the childhood that I had had so broken, I experienced in that moment something of a love that I've never known. I said, what was that? I said, well, hey, you're the one hosting a renewal movement meeting, right? This is, you know, this is going to happen whether I was here or not. And uh, we kind of talked about how the Lord loves us completely. Incredible. Verse 5. We're almost there. Verse 5. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's so high that I cannot attain it. Um, The word wonderful here really means to be puzzled and perplexed. It's too difficult to comprehend. And it's actually problematic to try to uh, comprehend on your own. It conveys the sense of being awestruck at the fullness of God's knowledge of his life. And up until now, you'd be forgiven if all of this was thought of as an experience that an, indi- that an individual has to do on their own. Now, an individual did write this, but during the exodus, during the um, exile, when the people of Israel were taken out of Israel to Babylon, this song was no longer a song of an individual, This song was a song of a community. And so it does apply to the individual, but it's also a song for a community, which kind of reframes it a bit, doesn't it? 
We had an incredible time with Bill and his sister Bev here on Thursday night talking about giftedness and parenting. And one thing that Bill said was so powerful. He said, no one will fully apprehend their giftedness on their own. And I think it's true of love. It is, it's possible to have a loving experience on your own. But experiences are a dime a dozen. Experiences aren't the real test. The test is the fruit. To be actually shaped by the love of God and for your life to begin, begin to be transformed by the vision of Jesus that we have as we worship, is impo- it's, we can't apprehend it on our own. It has to be done in community. We need to have people around us to help us process what it means to be loved. We need others. We need others. We can't do it on our own. And so after the service, for about 15 to 20, maybe 25 minutes, we'll give you 30. 30? 25. Um, we're going to meet in the fellowship hall. Our community groups here at St. Bart's are called connect groups. And the moment we've been talking about this for some time, and everybody wants to talk about what we do. And what we do is important. Content's absolutely vital. And in some form, it involves hospitality, it involves um, the scriptures, it involves prayer. But we're not so focused on the content. Instead, we're, we're really focused on the culture. Inevitably, I'll come into contact with people who try to compare, who visited and they want to compare their church to this church. And I say, look, I can't, I don't have a frame of reference of where you've been. But what is it? Tell me, what is it that you think is so different? And it's helped us to see that there are some elements to our culture here at St. Bart's that are absolutely essential. And this is what we, is at the heart of how we meet together and really at the heart of how we believe will be shaped by the love of God. Our meetings are meant, and they're all gonna start with the same letter. That's just for you. Real. That we continue to promote open discussions in our groups and that we listen. We don't expect everyone to have the same point of view or to really um, all agree on the same thing. We want to be, have a place where you can come and be heard. These groups are relational, where we cultivate relationships. Now, um, how deep you go depends on, you know, the time you're together and all that kind of stuff. But the idea is more that we're all on a relational journey with each other, where we're making space for those who are in different places in their faith than we are, because we're all on a journey with the Lord together. The third R is that we're reliant, that we continue to carve out time to create rhythms of encounter so that we can experience God and minister to each other in prayer. And then the fourth one is reproducible, where we want to continue to make space for more groups to start up. You know, we don't really want to exert a high level of control on the content. Instead, we want to have good relationships with our leaders. 
And so our connect groups will feel different perhaps than what you've experienced in the, in the past. You may already be in a group and that's fantastic. You may be looking for a group. We love to see you in the fellowship hall after the service. But the point is, is that these groups are meant to help us behold Jesus so we can become more like him. Because what would it look like for us as a church, as a community, to say, Lord, you've searched us and you know us. We as a community have experienced the reality of God. You know when we sit, you know our dull moments and our exciting moments. All of your attention is on us as a community. You perceive our thoughts from afar. Not just mine, but all y'all's. See what I did there? Little Texas grammar. That sense that he has bound himself to us so that he's hemmed us in behind and before. He's pressed in. And what's more is that he's placed his hand upon us that we might have the fullness of his presence in our midst. That's the culture we're after. We will do things differently in the liturgy. There are other churches that do it the same every time. They're great. But as we journey together and make room for everyone together, we do it because we desire things to change, that we become more like Jesus. Amen. Let me pray. Lord, we lift to you this morning those in our midst who are in need of knowing your grace and your mercy in a new way. Lord, we lift to you those of us going, who are in need of guidance, who are in need of wisdom, who are in need of encouragement. And we thank you, Lord, that in your wisdom, you have placed us in a community of faith. And so, Lord, we ask that for those of us who are particularly doing well this morning, that you would give us a word of encouragement for another, that you would prompt us even now with an idea of maybe to call someone, to text someone, to reach out. That the love that you've depicted for us in Jesus would be made known in our midst. We ask all of this in your name. Amen.